Hi, you are listening to the Hope Church Sermon Podcast. At Hope, our mission is to help people know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Now, join us as we listen in on a sermon from last Sunday. It is our hope that you feel God's love stronger today than ever before. Church. Man, I'm so glad you're here today. What an incredible, Gabe, thank you so much for leading us and putting all this together for us to make sure that we get to get our hearts right for the message. I'm so thankful for our team and all these guys. Can we put our hands together for these guys leading us in worship every single week? I'm so thankful. Um, we talk a lot behind the scenes in the offices. We don't do it for the applause of, of man. We do it for the applause of the Lord. And we, we, want, we want to please the Lord with all that we do. And we want worship to please. So I'm so thankful for the worship in this house. And um, um, we're going to have a great day today. I love the summertime because <clears throat> the summertime means that I get to sit on the front row and I get to take notes and I get to listen and I get to clap and cheer for whoever's speaking. I get to be poured into. And um, every pastor needs pastors and I need a moment where I can catch my breath and, and be ready for the fall. And so the summertime is a good time for me to sit and listen and, and take notes. And um, one of my best friends in the whole entire world is going to be here today. Um, before I introduce him, his wife Kaylee is here today. They have two cute little kids. And and I'm um, so thankful uh, that you're here, and uh, we got to spend some time together this week with some of my friends, just being poured into. And um, but uh, Josh is going to come today, and it's always weird for me to call him Josh. I, I went to I met I met Josh, and um, and we've been friends for 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 a long time. Um, but he, for me, he's 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 my friend. His nickname is Killer, and uh, that's a whole long story. And um, but everyone needs a friend in their life with the name Killer. Like you just need like you know they, they you know they got your back, and um, so. Um, Josh is going to speak to us today, but Josh is a, a, is a, is a good dad, and um, he started a church. He's a great pastor um, in the New England area and one of the hardest places to, to, to reach out with the gospel. He's there. He's doing an incredible job. Uh, he and his wife have built a church. They physically have built a building um, on a place where most people would not even dare launching a church. And, um, but more than anything, Josh is not just a, a great pastor, great communicator, really, really great communicator. He did a great job ready for service. Um, but he's my best friend. So could you guys meet here? Would you guys stand to your feet? Would you guys welcome Pastor Josh to speak a word into us today? Am I on? There we go. That was my bad. Thank you guys. Thank you so much. It is, man, it is a pleasure to be here. Uh, it really is. Let me rephrase that. It's a pleasure to be at Hope Church today, not so much Florida. Um, I'm glad to be with you guys. I love you guys. You're, I love your church. Um, Wes was like, hey, man, I want you to come speak for me. I was like, yes, bro. I live in Massachusetts. Once the sun leaves us in the fall, it's just like, like four months of gray, cold. Like, let me come preach in like February or March when I haven't seen the sun in a long time. And I've shoveled my driveway 50 times. He's like, how about you come in July? And I was like, you suck, bro. My wife and I were driving down, and I'm watching the thermostat on the, on the car. I'm watching it go like 85, 86, 87. Like, by the time we got to like the Georgia-Florida uh, border, it's like in the high 90s, and it just keeps going up. And I looked at my wife, and I was like, I think we're going to hell. I think it's, I don't know what Wes was thinking. But I live in Massachusetts, and it's great. It's awesome. Like, right now in the summer on the islands, like, we... we get a high of like 75, 76, you know, like that's our summer. And then 
Uh, you know, so I'm hoping I get to come back in the winter, like when, when this will be great. I was, I was enjoying the beauty from inside an air-conditioned car, but then I get out of the car, and it feels like somebody put a wet towel on me. So that's, I had a nice dress shirt like Wes is wearing, so I could look nice for you guys. I brought this because I thought he'd take me to a beach. He hasn't done that yet, but this is why I'm dressed like the Tiger King, so, because I'm hot. I really am. Just call me Exotic Josh or something like that. Um, I'm glad to be here. I really am. I love you guys. Harbor Church. Um, was, a, was something that God put on my wife Kaylee and I's heart um, to start. And we're going to celebrate our five-year anniversary coming up really soon. Uh, I think I got a picture. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Um, I got a picture of my family. This is, this is Kaylee. She's here on the front row with me. Um, and these are our two kids. Um, if you're quiet, you can listen to them screaming right now in your children's department. That's what pastor's kids do. Um, but uh, God blessed us. Uh, we had a child after we started Harbor. That's Luke. Because there's nothing like starting a church and having a baby. That's smart. Um, it's not. Um, but uh, we exist because God led your pastors to support us. When Hope Church was barely a year old or not even quite a year old, you guys began to pour into us. Um, and you weren't established and mature. You were still trying to get your legs underneath of you. And you heard about a church in New England that was trying to reach people. And uh, if you don't know New England, Massachusetts makes up one of those six New England states. And Massachusetts is the least evangelized state in all of the 50 states. We average about 3% of the people claim to know and follow Jesus. That means 97% of our state doesn't. Um, very, very spiritually dark up there. And uh, you guys heard about that. And because you're so faithful and generous and gave, we are able to have a church that's now reaching the lost. So I, I'm here representing Harbor today, thanking you guys. And, uh, and it means a lot that we get to have this kind of sister church relationship. So you may not have even known about us or ever meet somebody from New England, but you've had a part in helping reach New England with the gospel. So I can't thank you guys enough for that. And a lot of that comes back to Wes and Diana and what God put on their heart and the kind of people they are. They're so generous and so sweet. And Wes and I have been friends our whole lives. We, I mean, we, have, we go way, 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 way back. Yeah, isn't that cute? We met in college, so that's not us. Um, that's a fake picture, but um, yeah, it just helps. But Wes and I have been friends for over 21 years. He's my best friend, and uh, I love him. And I, I, I mean, I know he is the heart of Hope Church and why you guys are the way you are. And uh, you wouldn't be the church you are without him. And I, I love him for that. And I know he's the heart, but if he is the heart, then Diana is obviously the brain of this church. She's amazing and what God has used her and how he's used both of them. I'm taking Diana on staff down at Harbor. So you guys are losing her. Uh, this is our last Sunday. I don't know if we're supposed to tell anybody that, but say goodbye. But man, I, can we just show some love for your pastors and what they've done to build Harbor Hope Church? Thank you guys. Seriously, I love you guys. Um, Wes told me you guys were in a, in a series called Sermon on the Mount. And um, he was just talking about, he took all the good passages and then said, uh, you know, take whatever's left. And I said, man, I, I want to preach. And he goes, out of, he goes, do something out of Matthew 7. And if you guys have ever read Matthew chapter 7, it is just packed full of amazing content. And obviously it's Jesus speaking. And so every single verse, you could spend, you could spend a year just on Matthew 7. But there's two verses that Jesus kind of sneaks in in the middle of like all these conversations he's having. He says these two verses that don't really blend in with anything else. They stick out. And if you're like me and you have ADD and you're reading something and it's odd, like you just get lost there. And then I started like going off on rabbit trails and like, why did Jesus say this? And what does this mean? And I want to use these two verses today to talk about something. God just royally kicked my butt 
on these two verses. And so I want to pass on the butt kicking to you and, and share with you what it is I think God might have for Hope Church this morning. And it's found in Matthew chapter 7, and it's just the two verses of Matthew 13 and 14. And like I said, Jesus is preaching, he's tearing it up, and then he just kind of sidebars and goes, oh, and by the way, you're not going to get to heaven. You can only enter God's kingdom through a narrow gate. Now, if you're familiar with Jesus, Jesus at this point has already declared himself. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me. So Jesus already said, there's only one way to heaven, and it's, it's through me. But now he's saying, hey, listen, what you need to understand about this way to heaven is that it's narrow. This gate is narrow. This, this is not going to be all-inclusive. Anybody and everybody gets to go, and everything is counted. Because here's what a lot of us have believed, or we kind of think in the back, in the back of our minds. There's, a, there's different ways to get to heaven. Pastor Josh, Pastor Wes, they're going to get up and talk about Jesus, and that's good, and I like Jesus. But you know what? There's other ways. If I'm, just, if I'm better, then I am bad. If I can just, like early on in life, I made some dumb choices. If I can just outdo my bad with some good, then I can get into heaven. If, if I'm on a scale, of good and bad, maybe that's how I can get there. And we begin to buy into that. Or, or maybe you sit there and go, oh, well, you know, I know we got to go to God, but there's a lot of names for God. And if, if I love Allah, or if I love Buddha, or if I love Jesus, they're all the same. And that's, Jesus goes, no, there is one way and only one way. And that's through Jesus Christ. That's how you get to heaven. That's the narrow gate. That would have been a good time for applause there, uh, Hope Church. I don't know if you believe that or not. Uh, my wife said that I was too mean to the first service. So I'm going to be a lot nicer to the second service. I'm not mean. I'm just a New Englander. So we just say what comes to our minds. So I like response. And so, you know, if you want to and you agree, go for it. And if you're under conviction, sit there quietly. I understand. Uh, no worries. Um, but Jesus says he is the only way. And he says it's a very narrow way. But then he goes on to describe Satan's plan. Because he's like, here's my plan for you. It's a narrow way to get to heaven. He goes, but you have an enemy that is doing everything he can to distract you. And his plan is this. He says, the highway to hell, in contrast to the narrow path that goes to heaven, the highway to hell is, is broad. Now, I know some of you started singing the song, Highway to Hell. Stay with me. Zone back in. All right. Highway to hell is broad and the gate is wide and it's many people who choose that way. And what he's doing is he's painting a picture and he says, imagine you're on a road that's called life. He goes, Satan has paved a 16 wide highway, like a whole bunch of lanes. And it's just this huge, smooth paved highway that everybody seems to be on and everybody's going this way. And he's got billboards talking about how great it is and it's flashing lights. And everybody's like, this is great. And Jesus says, no, I've got a path and it curves off. It's an off ramp to the side and it's not glitter and gold. And it's not all these rainbows and sunshine. He says, the highway to hell has is, is got everybody on it and everybody's excited about what everybody else is doing. He goes, but I've called you to go down a path and it's a dirt road and it's bumpy and it's overgrown and it's really tight and it's not going to be tons and tons of people. He says, it's few that find this way. He goes on and he, in case, because we know we're visual, he goes, in case you're not picturing it right, he goes, look at this, the gateway in the very next verse, the gateway to life. It's very narrow and the road is very difficult. It's a hard path. And it's only a few people that find it. 
That is in direct contrast to the world that we live in where everybody is going down this path. If you want to know, like, hey, what is this easy path? What is this road that Satan has, this highway to hell? Just look at what the world is doing. They are all about themselves. The the road to hell is all about you being the God of your life. You know what's best. You pick for you. You do what, what you want. And that's what the world tells us. Everything we watch, everything we listen to, everything we hear is telling us that we better go get for us. We better take care of us. We got to get ourselves taken care of. We got to have our retirement taken care of. We got to make sure that we're happy. We got to have the sex that we want. We got to have the stuff that we want. We got to have the admiration that we deserve. And it's all easy. It's all like, yes, I deserve this. And, And God is saying, no, here's the other path. I want you to look at that verse again. Verse 14, it says, the gate to life is narrow and the road is difficult. The road is very hard to go the way that God has called us to. So by contrast, Satan's path is the exact opposite of difficult and hard. What's the opposite? Easy. See, Satan will always, hear me, Satan will always provide you an easier path. He's always there to tempt you with an easier way to react. So tomorrow morning when you get up, it will be hard to pick up your Bible and say, God, what do you have for me today? It'll be easy to pick up your cell phone and go, what do I want to look at? Okay, just me. That's fine. Um, It will be difficult to have a a spouse who's not on the same page with you and to walk through that and go, we we need to talk. It'll be easy to go, you don't get it. I wish you were on my level. It'll It'll be difficult to sit down with my kids and go, hey, what you're doing is wrong and here's why and let's have a hard conversation. It'll be easy to go, because I said so, that's why. See, there's always an easy and a hard path. And God says the hard path is going to require some difficult decisions and it's going to pull you outside of your comfort zone. The easy path is what Satan has for you, and you're always going to react in yourself. You see, like it's, if you're a boss here, it's going to be easy to just get mad at the employee who doesn't do what you want. It's going to be hard to take the extra step and train them and be patient with them like Jesus was patient with his disciples. If you're the employee here, it's going to be easy to resent your boss because he doesn't get you and she doesn't appreciate you the way you deserve. What will be hard is to say, God, give me grace and love for them, even if they never appreciate me the way you do. See, there's always an easy and a hard path. And what Satan is doing, he's always making sure there's an easy option for you. And every day, they estimate between 60 and 70 big decisions that you make every day. If you average 70 decisions a day, Satan will make sure there are 70 easy options. And those easy options will lead you away from God's best. And you and I, we blindly just go down the easy road because everybody else does. The hard road. Is, is one that's filled with self-control, is one where God says, no, discipline yourself this way. I ask myself, God, did you, did you, Jesus, you dealt with a lot, and the Bible says that Jesus suffered every temptation that we suffer. Did you ever have to deal with this? And there's a time in Jesus's life before he starts his earthly ministry, he gets baptized, and then it says that he goes immediately into the wilderness to be alone, and he spends 40 days under, putting himself under self-control, disciplining himself. He spends 40 days fasting from food. The thing his flesh wants most, he says, no, I'm starving my flesh so I can feed my spirit. Because although Jesus was 100% the son of God, he was also 100% man. And so everything that we struggle with, he struggles with. He's hot and he's hungry. And I understand hot. I understand it more now 
than I probably have in a long time, so I can appreciate that. I don't understand hungry. You can tell I haven't been that in a long time. But I understand Jesus being hot and hungry and tired, and that's when Satan comes to him with temptations. And Satan says, hey, if God really loved you, he'd let you use your powers to turn these rocks into bread. You have those powers, right? Why don't you feed yourself? And Jesus goes, no, 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 you don't live by bread alone. What God, my, my spirit is more important than my flesh. And Satan says, okay, well, here, here, if God really loves you, then why don't you jump off this tower and, and, and God will catch you because God won't let anything bad happen to you, right? If God really loved you, prove it. And Jesus says, hey, you don't put yourself in stupid situations. Just because God is great, you don't have to make jump, dumb, great decisions. You can just sit there and go, God, you give me enough wisdom. I don't have to jump off of that. There's a whole other message there that I ain't preaching. And then Satan says, okay, well, I got it. And here's where I want you to see a temptation that Satan brings to Jesus. Now, if you sit there and you're like, man, I can resist all of these. He brought them to Jesus. You're not Jesus, just so you understand. I don't know if you're like, oh, I'm Jesus in this story. No. See, we fall way short of that. But if he'll tempt Jesus with it, you better believe he'll tempt you and I with it. Now, it didn't work on Jesus. And by the way, being tempted isn't a sin. The way you react to the temptation, that's where we get in trouble. So Jesus is tempted, but Jesus chooses the right thing. And this is how he tempts Jesus. He, it says in Luke chapter 4, verse 5, the devil took him up. <laughs> Excuse me. The devil took Jesus up, and he revealed to Jesus all the kingdoms in a moment of time. And Satan says to Jesus, he goes, hey, Jesus, buddy, listen, here. I'm going to give you all of this. I'm going to give you all the glory. I'm going to let you rule these kingdoms. Everything the world has to offer, all the fame, all the glory, all the power, all the people, all the money, it's all yours, Jesus. I'm going to give it all to you, authority over all of them, the devil said. Why? Because it's mine to give to anyone I please. That's because if you think that this world has something to offer you, understand it's all tied back to Satan. He's got his plan is to show you that the world will take care of you. It's just part of that highway to hell. He goes, listen, I'll give it to whoever I want. And he goes, I'll give it to you. Verse 7, Jesus, I'll give it to you if you just worship me. And Jesus' reply, Jesus once again quotes scripture. It's better for you to know your Bible than to give your own opinion. <clears throat> Jesus says, hey, you must worship the Lord God and serve only him. Now, see, I read this, and maybe you've never heard the temptations of Christ before, or maybe you've heard it a thousand times. I've heard that one, and I heard it as a kid, and it confused me. I'm like, he's tempted? What? Satan's trying to trick him into worshiping him? Like, I was new, and maybe you're new to church, but I was like, I'm kind of new. But Satan worship, I'm pretty sure that's bad. Like, I'm not like, like oh, did I worship Satan? Is that good? Like, like, I was like, how is Satan trying to trick Jesus into worship? Like, Jesus is going to be smart enough not to worship Satan, was my thought as a kid. Satan wasn't trying to trick him into worshiping Satan. Satan was trying to offer him an easier road. And he does it to Jesus, and I'm telling you, he does it to you every single day. When it comes to your marriage, when it comes to your work, when it comes to you at school, with you and your friends, you and your family members, you and your self-discipline, some of the addictions you're struggling with. Some, some of the bad habits, some of the attitudes, some of the ways your heart is bitter. These are all times that you've chosen to go down an easier path than what God has called you to. And Satan will always give you an option that isn't God's best. Some of you should write that down. He will always give it to you. And some of us, myself included, have been choosing the wrong path because it's convenient. And in the moment, we're like, yeah, this seems better. Everybody else is doing it. Why don't I get mine? 
I, I would rather live in anger. I would rather live in depression. I would rather give into my, my, my substance abuse than the hard thing, than doing this thing that God's called me to. And what I want you to see is I want you to see how it is that Satan uses the easy road to tempt us. See, the easy road does three things. First off, it's going to feed your greed. See, see anytime we get up there and, and say, and we got a choice in front of us, Satan will always give us one that just fuels that fire inside of us where I need a little bit more. I just need a little bit more. Hey, Jesus, you're a poor carpenter. You're just a poor carpenter. Look at all the gold and all the wealth I could give you. You don't have to build any more tables ever again. You can just have mansions and kingdoms. You ever think about that, that Jesus was a carpenter? Can you imagine how much a table by Jesus would be worth right now? <laughs> like Jesus built this bookshelf, you know, like, wow. Sorry, rabbit trail. Jesus was a poor carpenter and Satan's going, I can give you so much. I can give you so much. See, when we get into life where we're at, we have to face this every day. We get up and we go, man, I, I think I deserve more. See what my neighbor has? See what my siblings have? See what that person has? Why don't I have that? And the easy road always says you deserve that. See, Satan will always tell you, you need a little bit more. This is what, this is what the Bible says. <clears throat> if you look at it in, in, uh, in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. It says this, the people who long, 1 Timothy 6, the people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and, and destruction. It doesn't say the people that are rich get this. It says the people who long for this. Because then it follows it up with verse number 10. It says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. See, people misunderstand that and they misquote that verse a lot. I was at a, I was at a restaurant and there was a live band there and they had a tip jar. And the tip jar said, money is the root of all evil. Cleanse yourself and give it to me. <laughs> that was a pretty good tip jar. But see, they misquote it. People are like, oh, money is the root of all evil. Money's not the root of all evil. Read the Bible. There's a lot of people that God blessed with wealth. God blessed Solomon, the richest man ever to live, with a ton of wealth. Blessings can come from God. He says, it's the love of money. It's the pursuit of having more. See, when Paul says, my God who takes care of me will meet all of your needs through the graciousness of Jesus Christ, he doesn't say, my God will give you everything you want. He says, my God will give you everything you need. And we think of God as a genie that we just wish for more. And so we become discontent because that, that easy path will always feed that greed. Where well, if, Man, if I just had one more dollar, if I just had one, a little bit better of a retirement, if I had one more toy, then I'd be happy. Just one more. Just, just let me buy one more. If you buy that toy, your neighbor will get a nicer, newer version of it. And now you're discontent with the toy you got. You got to have one more. They went and asked, the, not the millionaires, but the multi-billionaires of the world. The guys that have so much money, they just going into outer space for the fun of it. They're not astronauts. They just want to go into space. That's how much money they have. What do you guys want? One more dollar? If you make money the God of your life, you will never be satisfied, even if you are the richest person on the planet, because you'll always want a little bit more. This is what Jesus says. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 12, verse number 15. Beware and guard yourself against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. See, what we do is we think that no, pastor's talking about money. Pastor Josh, <clears throat> yeah, talk to the person next to me because I don't have a lot of money and I'm fine with it. Greed isn't just about money. You might be here and you might be greedy for attention. I didn't say you're going to like today's message. <laughs> you, might be greedy. you might be greedy for a relationship. I got to have somebody that loves me. I have to have more love. You might be greedy for affirmation. 
You might, you might be the person, I, I've got to have, I've got to get recognized. Somebody has to pat me on. They better tell me that I'm doing good. I've got to have fill in the blank. The, the greed that's inside of us is when we say, I need more than what God says I need. And this is Satan. Satan's plan will always put you on a path that says, oh, I need a little bit more. He, he tries it with Jesus. You need more than being a poor carpenter. You need all of this. And he tries to feed his greed. But see, everything about the easy path is all about selfishness. And God's plan will always be about self-control. So easy offers it place to your selfishness, hence feeding your greed. God's plan, self-control. Part of self-control, and you see Jesus demonstrate this throughout his life, Self-control does what's good, not what's good enough. See, when, I, when I'm looking and I'm feeling greedy, I, I just when I'm truly at the bottom of being greedy, I'm going to do the minimum that I need to do to feel good about it, and then I'll, I'll pat myself on the back, and then I'll keep the rest for me. Okay, let me explain. See, when, when we get to that place where good is good enough, see, I'll give God, I'll give God some time. I'll come to church. You're preaching the wrong person, Josh. There's people that aren't here. See, I'm here. I'm good. See, that's good. But what's better is when you come to church and you lay down who you are and you say, God, I know this is just one hour out of the week, but every single hour, every single minute of every single day, I need you more than I need me. So I'm going to lay down me and I'm going to worship you. And I'm going to ask you to come into my life. See, you can do good and come to church, or you can do better and say, God, I need you. And so you can halfway worship. You can sing the songs like, amen, okay. If, you're not, if I'm not dead, you're not done. Okay, amen. You can do that, or you can be like, God, I truly need some work in my life. I am a dumpster fire in need of your help. I don't care about everybody else. Help me, God, I need you. See, now that's better, but we don't do that. We just do good enough. Kind of like when we take the dishes to the sink, but we don't ever quite get them to the dishwasher. Somebody elbowed somebody next to him on that one. See, like it's, what we do is we often settle for what's, what's right now. See, we're supposed to do what's right, and we settle for what's right now. Like well, the right thing is for me to eat healthy. But that's, that's hard. That's a hard road. I ain't got time to go home, make a salad, chop up vegetables. Burger King is right there, and I can have it right now my way, right? I, I can go like right now versus all that. See, what's... What's easy for me is, is to do something, I'll just do good enough. Good enough, that should be good enough. I don't know if you guys ever heard of, of the company Barker and Lewis. They, back in 1631, they, they were the, the royal publishers. That means that they were authorized to print for the king. In the, in the king's name, Barker and Lewis publishers would print in the king's name. And the king asked for this book to be printed, and they printed this book. It's got 700, I want to make sure I get it right, 783,000 words in this book. And Barker and Lewis missed one word. I did 783,137. 783, and that's how many words they were supposed to print. And they printed 783,136. They missed one word. I was like, that's got to be good enough. Right? They missed one word. That's 99.99999%. Like, that's good enough, right? Except for the fact that they were printing the Bible. <laughs> And the book, that the, and, and the part where they are printing, they left out the word not, just N-O-T. You're like, okay, you could slide that in there. Maybe nobody will notice. Except for it was in the list of the Ten Commandments. And if you read this famous Bible from 1631, it says, thou shalt commit adultery. 
And the king was so upset. It, it, it famously became known as the Wicked Bible. And Barker and Lewis, they lost their, their license to print. They went bankrupt. They were never allowed to print again. Because good enough sometimes is not good enough. But what you and I do, yeah. See, what you and I do is we say, God, I, I, I think this is good enough. I think, I think what I'm doing, I, I gave some money. Isn't that good enough? And God goes, I'm not after your money. I'm after your heart. So if you're going to tithe, I love a cheerful giver. What's good for me is that you say, God, every single cent I have comes from you, so I'm happy to lay back any of it, and I trust that you could do more through 90% than I could do if I keep 100. So I'm going to lay some treasure down at your feet. What, what, when, when, God said, when Satan says, hey, that's good enough, you need to say, no, God, what's, what's good? What's the right thing for me to do? Because right now, I can satisfy that urge, but what I need to do is do what the right thing. See, right now, I can just sleep with somebody. I just have sex with somebody, that's, that's what I want right now. And God says, no, the right thing is to wait for the person that you're supposed to be married to. But see, I can satisfy a desire and go, ah, I think I, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. No, you're not. Do, it. Do the hard thing. See, uh, right now, right now, I can, I can just yell at somebody. I just yell at my kids and tell them because I said so. But the, the right thing to do is say, hey, let's have a longer conversation. And we have to go back and forth. See, the, there's two other things about the, the easy way. The easy way, it's going to feed your greed, but it's going to do two other things. It's going to flatter your ego. See, Satan is kind of talking to Jesus like, you deserve this. Jesus, you're the son of God. You deserve, all of these stupid people here on earth, they don't get how great you are. Don't they know who you are? He does that to you and I. We start driving around and he starts whispering us, hey, you, you should be a little more mad. They don't appreciate you. Your family doesn't know how lucky they are that you're in it. Your boss doesn't get how much, how much you bring to the table. And you start to think, man, I deserve more. If anybody deserved more, it was Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And Satan is trying to flatter that. Oh, aren't you so good? You need more. The Bible tells us that pride cometh before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It's when we get all puffed up thinking, I deserve more. And most of us, if we're honest, when we get that attitude of why don't I have more? Why don't, why don't people appreciate me? Why don't people get me? We start to give into bitterness. And now we're going down a path where we think, oh, yeah, like I, I if they don't get it, then I don't want them in my life. And Satan has taken us down a path where we begin to push people out because our ego has been flattered. It doesn't just flatter our ego. What it also does is it fuels our laziness. See, this is the thing about the, the temptation of Christ. That when I, really, when, I, when I really read it and saw this, God just kind of changed me. He said, listen, do you see what Jesus endured right here? Because here's the thing, Satan offers Jesus, I'm going to have everybody bow down to you, Jesus. And I read that and I go, why is that a temptation? The Bible says in the end that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every, will, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. So if that's true, why would Jesus be tempted with Satan giving it to him? Because see what Satan does, he loves to fuel our laziness, he gives us a cut around. He gives us a shortcut. Satan will always come to you and say, here's an easier path. You don't have to do the hard thing. See, the hard thing, it requires that self-discipline. The hard thing requires some self-control. The hard, the hard thing requires you to step outside of your comfort zone and trust God more than you trust yourself. So what was Satan offering Jesus? 
you're going to have every knee bow and every tongue praise you, and you don't have to do the cross, Jesus. Just worship me, and I'll bypass that whole cross thing. That's the temptation he was offering Jesus. Everybody will love you just like they will in the end, but you don't have to die for them. They're ungrateful anyways, Jesus. You don't have to go through crucifixion. They're going to spit on you. They're going to whip you. They're going to nail you to a cross. Why? So you can pay for their sins? How about we just skip all that hard stuff and go straight to the prize? That's why we skip all the hard things in our life because Satan says, hey, you don't need to do the work that God's called you to to develop the character that God has for you. Why don't you just jump straight to the prize? And see, if you don't go through those hard times, look at me, if you don't go through the hard times, you don't develop what it is that God is trying to instill in you. It's like the idea of, I don't know if you ever heard the story of the kid that saw the, the, the caterpillar inside the cocoon and they saw it struggling to get out, so they ripped open the cocoon to help the butterfly get out. And when they did, the butterfly just fell and died. And if, I don't know if you ever heard that story or not, but the, the, the science behind it is that they have to struggle. It's when the butterfly forces and breaks open that cocoon and keeps fighting to get out. It's that fighting to get out that allows the fluids to flow to its wings so that when it finally breaks out, it's strong enough to flap and fly away. See, what we want is we don't want any struggle. We just want, like, just, let me, just let me have it all with nothing hard. And God's going, I'm calling you to walk through this hard time because I'm trying to develop something in you. See, the, the, the easy way will always play to our ego and to our laziness. But God's plan... God's plan will require not only the self-control to do what's good instead of what's good enough. It will require two more things from you. It will require you to know, to rely more on what you know and less on what you feel. See, the world tells you that your emotions are all that matter. See, in that moment, G Satan wanted Jesus to feel entitled. He wanted him to feel hurt. He wanted him to feel greedy. He wanted him to have emotions that say, yeah, let's do this. And when you give in to your anger... When you give into your bitterness, when you give into your lust, when you give into your pride, see, you're allowing yourself because I feel this way, I should do this. I feel like this is the right way to act. See, I'm learning that a lot of the New England drivers that we have come down here to hang out with you guys and go to Orlando, I guess. Because I drove in it and I thought, man, these people don't know what a turn signal is. And what I felt like doing was doing the Massachusetts way of sign language and letting them know they're number one, which is very common where I come from. Just because I feel that way doesn't mean I should do that. So I didn't. I just want you to know I didn't, Hope Church. But see, what, what we struggle with is God says, listen, you may feel like you're alone, but I want you to know that I'm always with you. You may feel like this is a dead end, but I want you to know that I'm the God that has plans for your life. You may feel like your, your reputation has been too burned down, you've, you've, you, you've burned too many bridges, you've done too much damage, but I want you to know that I'm the God who redeems. You may feel like I've given into this, this temptation too much, I've given into my addiction, I'll never get victory, but he says, I'm the God who turns graves into gardens, I'm the God who takes what's broken and mends them. I want you to know that you can trust me and not rely on how you feel. And then Jesus answers at the very end, not just with those two self-control pieces. He answers Satan. He says, listen, Satan, you have to love God with everything. You have to love God. You have to serve God and only God. He also says in Matthew that you have to seek first the kingdom of heaven, that you have to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. He says, he's, he's teaching us this idea that it's, it's not just going to happen overnight. Jesus is, is saying, remember, Jesus is in the middle of a 40-day fast. Jesus says, listen, self-control, that's a daily discipline, not an, an occasional obedience. 
What you need to do, the hard path that you're getting called on right now, the hard path that God is presenting in front of you is not going to be like, okay, Pastor Josh, I'm going to make this one hard decision and I'll leapfrog to being Mother Teresa. I'll do one good thing tomorrow and I'll be the next Billy Graham. And I'll, be per- I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll be this really great person. No. It's not one leap. You're not called to a marathon. You're called to a lifelong race. This is what it says in Hebrews chapter 12. Verse 1 says, let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We've got a race in front of us. It's our race called life. We do this, we run this race by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates our faith. You are called to run a race every day, and every step of that race is a decision. You're going to take, on average, 70 steps tomorrow. And you're either going to take them in the step of God's blessing and God's truth, or you're going to take your race in the step of what Satan says is easiest for you. Some of you already know, without me even saying it, what God wants you to do for your next step. Oh, just give me the whole path. God, tell me everything. No, God's saying, hey, I got this next thing. Do the next right thing. I don't know how I'm going to overcome this struggle I have, Pastor Josh. I don't know how I'm ever going to get back to where I need to be. I don't know how God's going to heal my marriage. I don't know how God's going to work in my my testimony. I don't know how God's going to give me victory over this struggle. Take the next right step. Daily discipline. God, what's the next right thing for me? Maybe your next right step is just to start praying. Give God two minutes every day. It's two more than what you're doing right now. Maybe you need to open up God's word and just give him a few minutes of pouring into your life. Maybe you need to have a hard conversation that you've been avoiding. Maybe you need to forgive somebody who's never asked for forgiveness. Maybe you need to start showing respect to somebody that God's put in authority over your life, even if you don't like them. That's the next hard step for you to take. I don't know what it is. Maybe God's already poked your heart about what he wants you to do, but you've got to take a step for him. See, in Romans 12, it tells us to make ourselves a living sacrifice. When Paul wrote that, people must have gone, a living sacrifice? Why would I do that? Jesus was the last sacrifice that ever needed to die. For thousands of years, the, the children of Israel were killing animals as a, as a payment for their sin. And Jesus says, I am the lamb, the last, final, perfect lamb that ever needs to be slain. It's my blood that will cover all your sins. So Jesus was the last sacrifice. Now Paul says, in that case, you don't have to die for your sins. I want you to live for Jesus. And living for Jesus means every day, get back on that altar. Because a living sacrifice keeps climbing off. See, when you kill the animal, sacrifice over, done, I did it. When I'm the sacrifice, I have to get up on that altar and say, God, I need more of you and less of me. Hope, I have to do that sometimes multiple times in the same day. It's a daily discipline. God, forgive me, I need more of you, less of me. Some of you, that's the decision you need to make right now. Some of you, you've known about God for a long time. Your first step on this journey, your first step of saying, God, I need need some daily, I I need something bigger than me, is to invite Jesus into your life. You have to admit that you're not perfect. That, you're, that you make a, a very crappy God for your life. That you need somebody bigger than you. And so when you admit that you can't save you, that you can't fix you, you get out of the driver's seat and let him sit in the seat. You let him call the shots. And if you believe that he'll do a better job, if you believe that he can forgive you and that he's got a better plan for your life, then confess that and watch what he does. That's your first step. You can't take any of the other steps without taking the first step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. And many of you would say, Pastor Josh, I've already... 
I've already believed that. I've already done that. I'm already a believer. Then maybe your next step is one of the ones I mentioned or something that God's already convicted you about. Get off of the easy path. Stop saying yes to your flesh. Stop living for greed or for your ego. Stop, stop doing what's lazy. Do what's hard. Go love the person that's hard to love. Go have the conversation that, that's going to build growth, not just keep concealing a sin. Admit, God, I, I struggle with this. I'm picking up something I shouldn't pick up. I need to let that go and walk away from it. Wherever you're at, would you let me pray over you today? If you would, just bow your head, close your eyes. Let me just ask God to bless you. I pray that God will, will speak to you right now in this moment about a step that you can take. And there is a step for every single one of us in this room. It might be hard, it might be scary, it might not make sense, but God is calling you right now to take a step of faith. Get out of your comfort zone and do something that only you can accomplish through him. God, I need you in this moment. If this is going to happen, I need you more than I need me. Whatever that is, take that step. For some of you, that means simply saying, God, I'm going to trust you with my time. I'm going to trust you with some of my talents. I'm going to give you my treasure. I'm going to let you use my testimony. God, I'm giving it to you. Use me. For some of you, it's the very first step of walking in faith, inviting Jesus Christ as your Savior. Pastor West is going to tell you more about that. Thank you so much for joining us. If you'd like to know more about Hope Church, please feel free to visit us at hopewintergarden.com or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at Hope Winter Garden. We hope you have a blessed day.